Well, a tough road trip for the Cubs here. Started in Miami, continues in Washington, and that sets the tone for tonight's Behind the Yellow Line. We've got Jeremy here tonight. We've got Randall here tonight. Cubs at 15 and 14, but guys, a real tough stretch here on this road trip. The Cubs have dropped four of five to open up the road trip. Still two more in Washington, D.C. You know, we've got conflicts this week, which led us to recording a little bit earlier this week on a Tuesday night. And frankly, Cubs kind of putting us in a bad mood going into this one tonight. A real ugly loss in D.C. Tuesday night. Yeah, you, you you can't you can't lose four to one to this Washington team. It's an awful team. They read a stat on air. The Nationals only three and twelve at home, and that was before the Cubs lost to them tonight. So congratulations, the Cubs handed them their fourth home win, and it is uh, May second. It, it's a bad loss. It's been a bad road trip so far. Uh, hopefully, it can get better, but it's been bad so far. Bad night. So uh, we're coming on the air and uh, not on good vibes, on bad vibes. But uh, yeah, this is the one tonight that kind of sticks in my craw the most, you know, Uh, the weekend was a a difficult weekend, a frustrating weekend, but there's some hard fought games, some unfortunate bounces. Cubs were in every game, one run games tonight. You, you give up, you know, four runs, you lose by three to a, as Randall said, a bad Washington team. You can't really hit Trevor Williams. We all know Trevor Williams. And it's just, it was just a very frustrating night that they couldn't get some more runs in. And, you know, I, 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 I try to be the optimistic one on this broadcast, but tonight I'm coming into this. I'm not I'm not feeling the good <laughs> vibes tonight. It's not a good night to come after that type of game. Sometimes Jeremy comes in hot. Tonight he's coming in cold. The vibes are dark and cold and sad. Well, you want to irritate some folks, including some folks on this podcast. Put uh two guys in a crucial spot in the ballgame tonight. I'm talking Eric Hosmer. I'm talking Trey Mancini against former Cub Carl Edwards Jr. and do absolutely nothing with the bases loaded there. That was a real frustrating moment tonight. Just stand there and let him walk you. We've all seen Carl Edwards Jr. Just stand there, don't swing, take four wide ones, and at that point it would have tied the game and you, you would have been able to keep the inning going. Just stand there and let him walk you. Stop swinging. Don't do it. Yeah, that was actually the point where I came into this game. I missed much of the early part of the game, but I came in and I saw C.J. Edwards. I saw Trey Mancini at the plate. I saw bases loaded. I saw one out, and I thought, all right, we got a little bit of a shot here. I have to, I do have to say I do want to give a little bit of credit to Edwards. That pitch he threw to uh, Mancini, that was a pretty nasty pitch that he got him to swing through, uh, you know, because Mancini was expecting something a little bit harder there, I think, and it was kind of uh, like – I think it was like a 90, it was almost like a 90 mile changeup that kind of got him. But uh, yeah, definitely, you know, you got to, you got to score runs in that situation. That's a situation you have to score runs. And it was disappointing. Then Hosmer comes up and he just kind of slices one that, you know, the second baseman, I believe caught uh, just an unfortunate end to that inning. And apparently he had two hits earlier. So just unfortunate that he couldn't get it done in the, in that situation. That's what qualifies as a good night for Eric Hosmer is two kind of meaningless singles and then doing nothing in spots where you might actually need him to do something. He, he's not a hitter that's doing anything productive right now. Every so often, maybe he'll get a ground ball through the infield when you need it, and that's great. He's he, I, I don't want to say he's actively hurting this team, but he's actively hurting this team. And we'll get to this, I'm sure, but there is a much better option waiting in the wings, and he's just a phone call and a plane ride away, and he's not up yet. I'm just, I'm tired of Eric Hosmer. It has taken me until May 2nd <laughs> until to say that I'm tired of Eric Hosmer. It went from, I tolerate him to, uh, okay, he's falling off a little bit. I'm tired of him now. I'm tired. I'm off the wagon. I was never on the wagon, but I'm definitely off the wagon now. 
I, I do want to say, I do want to point out, there are players on this roster right now and have been on this roster that are playing much worse than Eric Hosmer is playing. The players that I don't think should be on this roster and, and should expect to go out. So, yeah, I do understand the Hosmer frustration under it, but there are some players that are not playing well that are doing much worse than Eric Hosmer is doing. But see, like Jeremy, who? here's the thing is none of them are Eric Hosmer. <laughs> I don't want the name Eric Hosmer on this roster anymore. It's a singular focus. I am in this moment a single issue voter. And my single issue is Eric Hosmer. I would like to vote him out. Yeah, Randall's got the hatred for uh Hosmer. Oh, yeah, I get did it. You, did you ask me who? Is that what you said? Uh, I was just curious. Yeah, like, um, let's get some names. Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into what, you know, a little discussion on, you know, who what we think the moves should be or whatever. But, like, let's. Let's take a look at a guy who's starting the lineup tonight, uh, Edwin Rios. What has Edwin Rios done so far as a Cub? We all like the idea of him coming up, being a left-handed power bat, you know, facing right He did not – he has not performed at all. He got pinch hit today, you know, in a spot where against a right-handed pitcher. That's a spot you want. Supposedly, Edwin Rios is supposed to be on this roster and face right-handed pitching. He got pinch hit for. So I'm, 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 I'm seeing Edwin Rios come up here, and I'm like, what – I, I think that's a guy who's act, been actively worse than Eric Hosmer. I think Trey Mancini, he's been hot lately, but overall he's been actively worse than Hosmer. And he was a guy I was high on, right? I came in saying things and he has not been great. And one, and just the third guy I would say is Nick Madrigal has had a little bit of a, you know, he had a little bit of a kind of go there, especially in Oakland. But since then we haven't really seen it. And he's had some nice defense. I know we're going to get into him later, but those are some guys to me that like Eric Hosmer has been better than those guys. Well, Cubs fans have been loud. They want to see yes. some changes here. And I think the other thing that's jarring, and it is AAA and it is the PCL, but the runs that the Iowa Cubs are putting up, I mean, every time you look at a box score, it's 18 runs, 15 runs, 10 runs, and you see a big day from Christopher Morrell and Matt Mervis. Those names keep coming up. I think all three of us are in agreement. It's time. Let's get them up. Let's get them consistent at bats. Will this happen, though? Do you see this happening in the next 48 hours or so before the Cubs come home? I, I don't see it happening in the next 48 hours, and that's unfortunate. I like to think that the Cubs will come home this weekend, and you know we will wake up to news late Thursday night. Not going to wake up late Thursday night. We're gonna we're gonna go to bed late Speak Thursday for yourself. night. Yourself. Well, right. Uh, we're gonna go to bed late Thursday night. Wake up early Friday morning with rumblings. You know, maybe Matt Mervis not in the Iowa lineup on Thursday. I, I think we're gonna get those rumblings. I would like to think that Friday morning we find out that Matt Mervis is on his way. It will be in the starting lineup. I like to think it's going to be a Friday morning thing. I think it's time. And of course, there have been articles, interviews with Carter Hawkins and with Jed Hoyer that they are having these discussions every day to, you know, you know, and it's a delicate process. I get it. Matt Mervis, you are hoping that he can be a cornerstone of this team and this offense for a lot of years to come. You want to get it right with him. I get it. But at some point you have to say, your first baseman on the big league roster is not cutting it. You've got his heir apparent down there in the minor leagues waiting to come up. At some point, you've got to pull that string. And I like to think it'll be this weekend series against Miami. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Maybe not. We'll find out. Uh, we'll find out on the next edition of Behind the Yellow Line. I, I don't think it's going to be the next 48 hours just because I think um, they still have to figure out what they're going to do, you know, with that start on Thursday with the pitcher spot, there's going to probably be some roster, you know, machinations for that. So I think that's kind of put them in a bind kind of with what they're trying to do, especially now that you got Jan Gomes, they're not sure what's going to happen with Jan Gomes. They had to call it Miguel Abaya. So I think there's some roster kind of situations that kind of came up that 
you know, has kind of put this on the back burner a little bit. But the fact that I think that Carter, it seemed like the Cubs proactively came out today and told every media member, because they all had articles on this, every single beat writer, that, hey, we're having these conversations. We know these are these things. We're not ignoring that. We we want everybody to know we're we're paying attention to it. So I think they made a point to say this is on our radar, right? So I do think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I, I just don't think it's going to happen in like on this road trip. I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. That's fine. Bring it, bring it home to Chicago and yeah. Mervis and Morell can be waiting for them at Wrigley. Morell can literally be standing outside the player entrance waving. Hi guys. I'm back in that way that he does. Perfect time for some revenge too, against the fish next week or this weekend, rather this upcoming weekend here at Wrigley field. Um, I'm with you guys though. I don't think it's going to happen. Jeremy, you brought up a good point last time that when you bring guys up, especially for their major league debut, and obviously that doesn't apply to Morrell, but it does to Mervis, you want to set them up to be successful. And if you want a low pressure situation for a rookie, a midweek Thursday afternoon in Washington is about as easy as it gets. Right. But you know, what sounds better Wrigley field Friday afternoon, 120, great house, Big crowd at Wrigley Field on Friday if those guys are going to be back. So I like the thoughts of Friday, and I do think the Cubs need a bit of a shakeup here because we thought this road trip would be a lot better. These are not the hardest opponents the Cubs are going to face, and they've been really bad this week. No, these are these are games where you need to eat. You need to eat the fish. You need to eat the Nationals. I don't know what eating a National entails. Probably something pretty gory, so I don't want to get into it too much. But you need to eat during these games, and the Cubs have not so far. And we, I think we've talked about in past episodes – how Jed has mentioned, you know, maybe you wait until the team needs a shakeup or a, a so-called shot in the arm to bring up certain players. Well, you've been swept by the Marlins. You've already lost a game against the Nationals. You are, like we said, what, one and four on this road trip? You need a little bit of a shakeup. Now, yeah. maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a blip, but you could use a little bit of energy right now. And I think bringing up certain players would serve to bring some of that energy. I, I agree with that a little bit. I, I do think that there's been kind of a not, I won't I won't call it a malaise because I, I I'm going to push back a little bit on not on Randall or anything, but on like some of this kind of the vibes of of like this road trip that have been and it's been one and four against these teams. You you don't want you don't want to see that at all. But that in Miami that was like just a ridiculous series, right? Of what happened, how the Cubs lost those games. You know what I mean? You Caleb Killian going out and not a guy you're expecting to be a part of this roster. And he just kind of, you know, barfed it for the first inning or two innings in that roster before set, uh, of that started selling down. But the Cubs put like a lot of base runners on, right? And they scored runs. They made games of it. They came back. They fought back. Those are kind of like aspects of what I see as a good baseball team. Like sometimes things don't go your way, but if you're always having runners on, you're always in situations, you're always leaving a lot to me, like leaving a lot of guys on base. Yeah. That, that stinks, but it's also kind of a sign of a good team because you want to get lots of guys on base. And I think the Cubs are playing pretty well. I, I think they are playing pretty well. Today was just a, a terrible game, but Stinker. overall I think they're, I think they're playing pretty well. And I do agree with you. I do think you kind of want that shot in the arm to really, to really drive it through. But I, I think all of us, on May 2nd, if you said 15 and 14, like, yep. I don't know the exact where they are right now in run differential, but they were fourth in baseball coming into yesterday. Like, we would all take that, and we would all be very happy if we said that coming into the year. Jeremy, that's an apt point. You can pinpoint where every game in that Miami series went wrong. You know, one, maybe two moments where you say the game was lost right here. The Cubs were not thoroughly outplayed in any of those games. We know Rucker completely blew it 
in the ninth inning of game one. We know Killian just gave away the first inning, and that was basically the game in game two. And then, of course, the Cubs lose on a, a, a bottom of the eighth sacrifice fly in game four. You can pinpoint exactly where it went wrong in each of those games and how it ended up a one-run loss in each of those games. And that generally means you're in each game. But it's not enough to be in games against the Marlins. You need to win those games. And Ronan, like you said, a chance for revenge this weekend. And I have to give the schedule makers a little bit of props. You want a little more drama, a little more excitement. Great way to get two teams to hate each other is to have them play all of their games for the season in the span of a week. They did it with the Dodgers, where you played seven games against them in the span of a week. You'll have done it with the Marlins, six games in the span of a week. There's no way to get me more tired of a bunch of assholes than to make me watch the Cubs play them one weekend and then to make me watch the Cubs play them the other weekend. So I have to give the schedule makers props for that. It's a great way to encourage two teams to really get sick of each other. Well, we want to beat those Marlins this weekend. And and a good shot in the arm would be, uh, you know, a a Matt Meredith, a Christopher Morrell. As Ronan said, you're looking down and you're seeing these guys just every day. It seems like they're crushing it in Iowa. And of course, it's Iowa, it's AAA. But just to go back a little bit, and then I'm going to move forward a little bit on Matt Meredith, is I just do want to point out like the run differential. If you look at like the underlying Pythagorean, you know, wins and all the other stuff, the Cubs right now should, according to that, should be a 19 and nine team, 19 and nine based on their run differential. And they are playing a little bit underneath that. So I do think you you could, there is dead weight on this roster. I a hundred percent agree with you guys. There's dead weight on this roster. We want to see Morel. We want to see Merce. Maybe they don't come up and maybe they're not going to be game changers or, you know, what we exactly want them, but they probably, even if they are worse, it's worth it. They're probably not going to be worse than like Edwin Rios. But yeah. even if they aren't really hitting, it's worth it to give them a chance to see because they have far more upside, right? They're going to lift the upside of this team. So I, I do want to see that. And for me, like, I know, Randall, you're a Hosmer guy. You want to get rid of Hosmer. I'm sure Ronan's saying the same thing. Uh, I just want to know what your moves would be necessarily. I know Thursday's going to be a big day for roster machinations. Me, I think I... I getting rid of Rios and I'm getting rid of Madrigal. I think you could bring both Mervis and uh, option both of them down to AAA. And I think you could bring both Mervis and Morel up and not really lose a beat there. It, well, I mean, for me, it's easy. You designate Hosmer for assignment. That clears a 26-man spot and a 40-man spot. You option Rios. Yeah. Morel gets Rios's spot on the 26-man roster with the completely vacated roster spot. Mervis comes up for Hosmer. And you still have your open 40-man spot for the starting pitcher you're going to need on Thursday. So um, it seems pretty easy to me, personally. I'm with you on that, actually, Randall. I'm more in agreement with you. So I guess what it comes down to for me is would I rather this roster, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this out loud and that this is the predicament we're in right here, would I rather this roster have Eric Cosmer or Nick Madrigal? And I think it may be Madrigal. And again, I can't believe I'm actually saying that out loud. The one thing about Madrigal that has impressed me, dare I say, this year has been his defense at third. Like, we were knocking on him all winter, and rightfully so, I think, right? We were giving him a hard time. But he's passed the eye test for me as a third baseman. And I think there are other guys in the system and in the majors at that point that could help out at first base. I'll take the help with Madrigal at third over Hosmer on this roster. So that's what I would do. Madrigal at least offers the slightest bit of positional positional flexibility. And Ronan, you're right. I don't want to jinx him because I've your jinxing powers have transferred to me, which I hate. It means I got to be real careful. But yeah, the defense at third base has passed the eye test. He's making the throws. He's coming in on softly hit balls to the left side. He's making those plays. I, I don't cringe quite as much when I see a ball hit his way as I did in that first week of the season. I still don't completely trust him. And you know, I think maybe if you retire him as a third baseman now, you can 
say he goes out on top, um, which, which would be nice. But yeah, yeah, I don't cringe quite as much as I did the first week of the season. I think he's uh, acquitted himself nicely. And in theory, he will get better there. I do, I do just think that the lack of arm is at some point going to come back and hurt them in a big spot where he's not able to make a strong throw on a difficult play and it's going to come back to hurt them. But you are right. He has passed the eye test so far. I've actually been impressed by his arm. Not that I'm not saying it's a strong arm, but it's not as weak as I thought it was. He's he's made throws and he's made plays. And I agree with you guys. It has been impressive, magical. I did not expect him to to be able to take the third base as he has. He made a huge play in that Padres series, a couple of them. And it has been impressive seeing him out there. It's just for me, like he he's just not really hitting i mean i know he, he <laughs> when you get him in like a uh, situation like oakland or probably colorado like i feel like he would be great in colorado because he would just hit little dinks in the gaps and whatever and it would be fine but he's not hitting the ball hard he's not really fast he's not i don't know and i know you you get a little bit of positional flexibility but like christopher morell is basically you know a jack of all trades a, a utility knife there because he's he can do anything he, he's played second base in the majors he's played center field in the majors he's played third base in the majors so i feel like even if you get rid of he you could put morel anywhere so i just feel like you get more f- positional flexibility so i'm not worried about losing that with magical uh i there you would you do have to make a 40-man move because pro- a pitcher is probably gonna take a 40-man spot on thursday to to figure that out but i i just i I think Magical should not be long for this roster. I think he should be in Iowa. Now, Jeremy, the only thing is your version presupposes that Hosmer has to stay on this roster. I'm not an individual who presupposes that Hosmer has to stay on the roster. So I, I agree with you to an extent that if we are talking about, you know, a hypothetical or Hosmer absolutely has to stay on the roster, then I agree. Madrigal and Rios can go down, but I, I do not presuppose that Eric Hosmer has to stay. So I think that's the the, the difference in our approaches here. I don't think he has to stay. I just think the organization sees certain things that, and I hate, I don't know if it's good or bad or whatever, but sees certain things that probably don't show up in games that they're going to want to keep him around for. And I just think he's going to, he's going to stay longer on this roster than you, ex- that you expect him to be. That's just the way I see it. I think people want to see him gone. They're, they get so consumed in like this Hosmer hatred. And to me, it's like, if they can justify him on the roster, and I think right now they can justify him because they can say this guy's worse, this guy's worse. I could ju- I could still call it Mervis possibly and still keep him on the roster. I think he's going to be on the roster until they can no longer justify him in any way for him to be on the roster. That's just the way I, I think that it's going to play out. Well, I think there's a few guys that we got to talk about here. Um, there's a big time former pro- former big-time prospect is maybe the right way of saying it, who's getting ready to make his big league debut. I want to talk about some of the guys in the outfield, look at the bullpen. I just want one more comment here on the Marlins. This has been kind of eating away at me for the last couple of days. Randall, what was worse for you this past weekend, the three one-run losses to this awful Marlins team, or the fact that this awful Marlins organization was celebrating their 2003 team over the weekend as well? Well, the joke's on the Marlins. I didn't get to see any of Saturday or Sunday's game. So a colossal fuck you to the Marlins. You're not getting my eyes. And what a disgusting organization. The the Boog and JD read a stat on Friday night that the Marlins have been around for however many misbegotten years, and they've had six winning seasons in however many decades it's been. And, of course, one of those fucking winning seasons – was, of course, 2003. Like, every stat they read about the Marlins as a franchise just made me angrier and angrier. (laughs) Uh, If I had my way, 
I will be elected president on the platform of I'm going to contract the Marlins. I'm going to shove Marlin Stadium, Lone Depot Park. I don't care what it's called. I'm going to shove it into the ocean where it can become a great artificial reef for all the species of fish that live around Southern Florida. And I'm going to salt the earth so that nothing can grow back there. That is the platform on which I will be elected president and I will keep my campaign promise. I think you should run for mayor of Miami or governor of Florida with that platform. Well, I, um, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I want governor of Florida. That doesn't seem like a very nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I, I just want to, with, just to go back on that Marlin series, as he was saying, I, I want to say, you know, you said 30, first of all, they had two World Series, not just 03, because that's crazy in those 30 years to have those two World Series. But they wore those Friday, on Friday, they wore those 1993 throwbacks. And I personally, I prefer those two, even though I'm not a big teal guy, I would probably prefer the, like what they wore in 03 to what they're wearing now, but I prefer those to their uh, current uniforms. I, I they, they bring a nostalgia to me. I like that. And so, and then the other thing was, I thought it was kind of interesting, even though you got the two national broadcasts, you got three separate Chicago play-by-play guys calling Cubs baseball. You had Boog on the Friday, the usual Cubs guy. You had Adam Amin calling a national game with AJ Pierzynski on Fox, you know, call who calls Bulls games. And then yeah, you had I missed that. Chris Vosters uh, calling along with Ryan Sweeney and uh, Tommy Hutton uh, calling the game on Peacock for the Blackhawks guy, Chris Vosters. So I just thought it was interesting. They really went in on the Chicago play-by-play guys. Just because I'm I'm not going to give the Marlins any credit, the shade of teal that is used for those batting helmets is different than the teal accents on the jersey, and that was throwing me off, and I didn't like that either. I just got to get one more dig in there. Okay. Well, uh, I, I do think the original jersey scheme was probably the right way to go for that organization. They seem sort of listless these days. Something that I thought might look nice for the Marlins would be the City Connect jerseys for the Padres has sort of a colorful flair to it. If you're watching the games the last couple of days in Mexico, you got a chance to see it. I think that type of a color scheme would work for Miami. It's Miami. It should be bold. I think their uniforms are kind of sterile these days. Uh, but I don't like seeing memories of even 97, 2003. And we can't forget, folks, 2020, Marlins knocked the no, Cubs out yeah. of the playoffs that year too. It, it, it forces me to acknowledge the existence of the Marlins and anything that forces me to acknowledge the existence of the Marlins, I simply cannot abide by. And Rona, you mentioned the City Connect jersey. The Marlins City Connect jerseys don't even harken back to a, a Miami team. They're, they're, they're trying to emulate a Cuban team, though even, even better. I like those. They wore those on Saturday. I thought I, Sure, I like but it jerseys. has nothing to do with Miami. It has nothing to do with Miami or the Marlins. I will say there are some former Marlins that I have a bit of respect for. Uh, I would say Derek Lee is one of them. Uh, Antonio Alfonseca is a guy that I uh, certainly care for. Uh, and there have been other players. Chris Coglin. Chris Coglin, yeah. He was a fish. Rookie of so, the year with the fish. Guys that helped out the Cubs at other points in their careers there, but uh, generally never thought too highly of that organization. Um, though, speaking about thinking highly of somebody, Miguel Amaya is making a Chicago Cubs debut here. This is a wild story, I think. 24-year-old, he's been injured for a couple of years now. It was not that long ago. This guy was a big-time prospect across baseball and one of the Cubs' top prospects. In the top 100 of overall prospects in 2019, 2020, and 2021, Jan Gomes is out with uh, what they think may be a concussion or concussion-like syndrome. Wow, we're finally going to see Miguel Amaya make his big league debut, and it's happening with the Cubs. Yeah, I, I don't love that it's happening, going to happen because Gomes is hurt. Gomes has been great. I think he's been integral to the early season success. But once you get past that, this is great. I wasn't sure we'd ever really see Amaya 
in the major league yeah. because of the injuries. He has the, the so-called Liz Frank injury in his left foot. He had Tommy John surgery, which different for a position player, but the catcher, you still got to do a fair bit of throwing. So I, I know I, I was, there was a time where I wasn't sure where we would ever see Miguel Amaya in the major leagues. And, you know, again, I don't love the reason why he's coming up, but I do love that he is coming up. I love that he's getting a shot and it makes me very happy because this is a guy who's been in the minor leagues for a little while. we followed him. You know, he's one of those, uh, catching prospects who can hit, which you always covet. And I'm excited to see him hopefully get some big league time here soon. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of don't want to see him get some big league time soon. I kind of want Jan Gomes to be healthy because I agree. I think Jan Gomes has been an integral part of what we're doing with this Cubs baseball team. But I do anticipate Miguel Amaya being around because they did promote uh, Hayden McGarry from South Bend to uh, Tennessee to take Miguel Amaya's spot, which is also an impressive move for Hayden McGarry because he was just drafted last year um, to there. So I assume Miguel Amaya is going to be around for a little bit. And yeah, it's pretty crazy, but it's a, it's a cool story, I think, because he was a top prospect. He has had so many just crazy injuries. Like, it's just ridiculous, the dislocated finger, the list Frank injury, I think, with Tommy John, right? It's just been ridiculous to see how every year it's like, okay, he's come back, he might be get going a little bit, and then he's had to go back on the IL. But this year, man, he was hitting. He was hitting in, in double A. He, he what was looking, just looking at his numbers, he's had over one OPS, a 273, 411, 659. Like, he was crushing the ball. And I'm, the other day, he was hitting multiple homers in the game. I saw it on the road to Wrigley. They were showing it. And I was like, oh, man, Miguel Amaya's crushing it. So it's cool just to get him, you know, he's going to be, a, he's a major league baseball player now. He He's part of the union. He's part of the major league union. I guess technically was with the minor leaguers, but now he's part of the Major League Baseball Players Association. And so he's going to have a service day, at least. So, yeah, I would like I would like to see him get in there and, you know, do some damage. Maybe he could take over a little bit over Tucker Barnhart. Now, Jeremy, you mentioned earlier the so-called roster machinations. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think that um, Gomes is going to remain, quote unquote, under observation until Thursday, at which point he will go on the IL, possibly the concussion IL. And with that open 26-man spot, they will use that spot and the 40-man spot for Thursday's starting pitcher. And I think that is why uh, Amaya is still on the is on the roster with Gomes also still on the roster because I think that will be the play. But yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to see Amaya. I do worry that he's not going to get a whole lot of time only because he is so young. He has not worked with really any member of this pitching staff. I'm sure he's he's gotten some time around them in spring training. He is on the was on the 40 man roster, so he was in big league camp. But I'm worried they're going to have Barnhart start most of these games and Amaya only catches you know once out of, once or twice out of every seven days. No. Don't bring up your don't bring up your your coveted catcher just to have him sit. Have him work with the pitchers. If you want to take another day to do that, that's fine. Have him work with the pitchers. Get comfortable. Get him a start. Don't bring him up here to sit. You could have brought Dom Nunez up here from AAA Iowa and used a forty man spot to have him sit on the bench and Barnhart start. Don't bring Miguel Amaya up just to sit. Yeah, a little bit. Of, I, I I do agree with you. I think. I think he should I think he should get his chance. I think I'm hopeful maybe we see the bat play. You know, he hasn't it's just that he hasn't played so much, but he still seems to still have uh you know, the Cubs obviously they call him up to play catcher. He still seems to have positive they still think, seem to think positively of him as a receiver behind the plate, you know, to bring him up in this situation. So I agree with you, you know. Barnhart, we only really want to see him face against, you know, right-handed pitching, probably. I don't want to see him face right-handed pitching. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm just saying in general. So get 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 Amaya some chances. You know, I don't expect him to come in right away and be starting games. 
uh, you know, because the pitching staff, as you said, probably, you know, they're going to want to be comfortable. But yeah, you know, he is, it's not like he is already 24 years old. So it's not like he's a young pup, any, you know, up there. So, you know, let's get this clock ticking. If he's going to be up here, I agree with you, Randall. Let's get him some games. Randall, what number did he take? Number six. Uh, the Six. number vacated by Zach McKinstry when he was traded to Detroit uh, late in the spring. I, I, I like to think this number six will turn out a little better than McKinstry did. McKinstry's uh, Cubs tenure, not particularly uh, you know, significant or dignified. So number six for Miguel Amaya, and that is simply an upside down for him. He's a big number nine guy. We're number nine in the minors. He has number nine in his uh, social handles. So that's just taking that number and uh, turning it upside down. How, how do you feel about number six on a catcher? I'm I'm okay with single digit. I think catcher should be single digit numbers. Any single digit number, uh, you know. Famously, Benito Santiago uh, was a big number nine guy, but he didn't wear number nine. He wore number zero nine because he didn't like the way the back strap of his chest protector sat on that number nine right in the middle of his jersey. So he wore that zero nine so the strap could sit between the two digits. That's a bit of a catcher related number trivia for you. I like single digit numbers on catchers. I think it looks good. You think a number one would work for a catcher? Yeah, I'm okay with number one on a catcher. You know, I'm I'm good with any single digit number on a catcher. And there's you know, there's it's... a lot of numbers that do look good on a catcher. I'm good with any single digit number. There's certain positions that I think look good with single digits, and that's basically up the middle. I think center fielders, middle infielders, and catchers all look good in single Pitcher? digits, no matter what. I'm okay. You know, it's a little odd. I'm not against it, but uh, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I'm not against it, but. Uh, you know, just position player wise, I think up the middle, a single digit number always looks good. I was actually disappointed that Benito Santiago did not wear zero nine when he was a member of the Cubs. He just wore it with the normal nine. Yep. Um, let's talk about right field. We had a lot of time thinking about Seiya Suzuki. He was a highly anticipated player in the offseason. He shows up to spring training. He's all jacked up. Then he gets hurt. He misses most of spring training. He misses the World Baseball Classic the first two and a half weeks of April. So we've gotten about two and a half weeks of getting to watch him back as the Cubs right fielder. Uh, Jeremy, what do you say about two and a half weeks of Seiya? So I, I, I was just, yeah, I've been curious about this because I've seen a lot of people to me, I feel like jump on Seiya and start going after Seiya for the way uh, things have shaken out. And, you know, I think for me, for what I've seen of Seiya is that he's been hitting baseballs really hard. You know, we talked about him getting jacked up and maybe that leading to his oblique injury in spring training. But Seiya Suzuki has been pummeling baseballs like every time he's made contact and he's been making a lot of contact. It's not like he's striking out a lot uh, into, or missing the ball a lot that he's hitting baseballs hard. He's 89th in average exit velocity. He's 86 in hard hit percentage. Like you look at he, all of his numbers on, on StatCast based on baseball savant, they're pretty much in the red. Uh, so I, I'm pretty high on say, I think that it's going to kind of turn around. I think he needs to get a little bit more loft, but I think there's some power in there. And I think he's going to be a big part of what we're seeing come with this Cubs team. So I've been pretty surprised at some people that have been kind of being really down on him. I, I It's been kind of surprising me to see that. So I'm curious how you guys have felt about that. I have a feeling I know how Randall feels, but I'm curious how Ronan feels as well. Yeah, I've been down on him a little bit, uh, but, you know, I have to remind myself, this is his spring training. He, uh, you know, this is where he'd normally be in the middle of, I don't know, March right now getting these at-bats. I am in favor of maybe giving him a little more time off 
um, you know, as he does come back from that period of inactivity, maybe dropping him in the lineup a, li- a little bit, which David Ross did do, dropped him from fourth to fifth. I don't know. That's quite what I had in mind. I think maybe you could move Patrick Wisdom a little higher, say uh, a little lower. Um, the Jeremy, like you said, he's hitting the ball hard. The slug isn't there right now, but I do think that will come again. This is like mid-March for him, basically. You know, if he had started, uh, if he had started a normal spring training at the very end of February. So I, I do think he will come around. I do think David Ross just needs to be a little more proactive in putting him in the right spots until he comes around. And I think potentially that comes with moving him just a little lower in the lineup, maybe sixth. Um, and until he's able to really get his feet under him. So I'm a little down on him. I have not given up on him by any stretch. I do still, still think he's a very good ball player and will be a part of this team's success if they do have any. I think just maybe put him in a little better situations until he gets his feet under him, or I guess more specifically gets his oblique completely you know, reattached because yeah. your oblique's not under you. It's on the side of you. He hasn't played that much. We're talking like 17 games at this point. So sample sizes are small. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. I would argue, and I think there are some Cubs fans who may push back on this a little bit. Um, I don't think there's a better option in right field right now. No. You could say, well, Velasquez hits the ball hard and, you know, he has some big clutch hits, but that would be ridiculous in my opinion to put him out there over Suzuki. Let him play. Let's let that sample size grow a little bit. You know, we haven't seen a ton of power from Dansby. This year, more so in the last week. He's got a couple home runs in the last week, but give him a little bit of time. I think the power is coming from Dansby. I hope the power is coming from Seiya, right? The big thing that I've always felt is I don't know that he's ever going to be a 25 home run right fielder. And that's a position you do want a lot of power in. But Jeremy, you're right. He's hitting the ball hard. And if he continues to hit the ball hard, those balls are going to find gaps in the outfield. And that's going to lead to a lot of extra base hits, including some home runs. So just keep him out there. Right, I think Cubs fans, of all the concerns I have with this team right now, say is very low on the priority list. He just needs to continue to play. Yeah, I want to be clear. He's not a concern to me. I don't advocate sitting him, and I, I like Nelson Velasquez a lot, mm-hmm. but I absolutely do not advocate sitting Seiya Suzuki for Nelson Velasquez. I don't think that really helps anybody. Uh, again, I think just maybe put him in a little better situations until he's able to get a few more at-bats. Absolutely do not bench him. It, it, do not bench him for Nelson Velasquez. Do not you know eat him in a box with a fox, whatever. Just give him a little bit of time. I, I've just been... I, I... I've been kind of impressed by him. I, I know it probably sounds weird. It's just, it's just, I feel like every time he makes contact, it's for the most part, hard contact. He's ripped some balls. He's rivals balls. I know he's only had the one home run, which is why you probably want to see a little more loft on the swing to, to get some balls in the air. But I just feel like he's making a lot of hard time. He did frustrate me in the Miami series when he, he came up in a pretty huge spot to try to take a lead. And he came up after uh, their, their starting pitcher was just walking everybody and he got a pitch clock violation and started to count 0-1. And that was a frustrating thing. And I was like, say, what what are you doing here? Like, this dude just walking everybody, and you're going to give him an 0-1 count in this huge situation? That I was a little annoyed with. But I've just been surprised to see people so down on him. I I, I think he's I think he's going to turn around. I think it's going to be a break. I think he's going to have a breakout because I just see a dude who's hitting baseballs hard. And I think eventually you hit baseballs hard enough, they – they're going to land it for hits. They're going to go far. So I, that's what I see from Saya. And just to play devil's advocate, which I normally hate doing, he did hit into double plays in three consecutive plate appearances to end 
Friday's game and then to begin Saturday's game. That's a little frustrating too. I know double plays are a function of hitting the ball hard just to the wrong person in the wrong place with a runner on ahead of you, but that was still a little bit frustrating that in you know two consecutive two one run losses, three one run losses, but in two of them he managed to hit into a combined three double plays. A little bit frustrating, but again, that it's hard contact, Jeremy. It's like you said, you make hard contact enough, and eventually good things will start to happen for you. Well, another outfielder that is getting a lot of attention right now, and rightfully so, center fielder Cody Bellinger. He has exceeded expectations the first couple weeks of this season. If you stretch out the stats, if he keeps the pacing at he's at right now, we're looking at about a 40 home run season from Cody Bellinger with elite defense in center field. And he's been a mainstay in the roster, really only taking some time off there on paternity leave over the last couple of days. Randall's guy, bleedcubbyblue.com, Al Yellen with an article today. Cubs got to extend Cody Bellinger. We started to talk about this in the group chat. Randall said, shut up, Jeremy. Shut up, Ronan. Save it for the podcast. Uh, Randall, I'll toss it to you first. Are you in favor of the Cubs trying to extend Cody Bellinger right now? Well, to be clear, you're tossing it to me, but I'm not catching it because I'm not touching something that's been where Yellen's been. It smells like bologna and has grease on it. Uh, yeah, boy, if Al Yellen thinks he should do it, what what more do you need? No, I'm not in favor of extending Cody Bellinger. I, I am ecstatic about his start to this season. He has hit the ball hard. He has hit the ball far. He has made contact. He's done a great job against left-handed pitching. He's done everything you could hope from a guy who was signed to this bounce back one-year pillow contract after a month. I am in no way in favor of extending him. I don't think he would take that. We know who his representation is. I don't think his representation would take that. And I'm not sure he's a fit for this club long-term. All of his positions are positions that you either have guys locked up long-term, hope to have somebody playing there long-term, or will soon, not all that long from now, be calling somebody up to play there long-term. I'm just not sure there's a fit. I I like Bellinger. I think he's done a great job. I don't think he's going to hit this well the whole season. I think a bit of a leveling off and maybe a bit of a drop back down is coming. But no, 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 absolutely do not extend him. If you want to talk to him and Boris about uh, like another one-year contract as PCA insurance, and you know maybe he can move around, play all three outfield positions, some first base and DH in 2024. You want to talk to them about that, and they will take another one-year deal go for it but extending him long term absolutely not no thank you i i don't i don't foresee that happening i can't imagine if he continues to hit not i'm not saying play this well but if he continues to hit at all him getting taking another one-year deal in the offseason but for me i i think it's a bit early i i do think you kind of want to see you know Kobe bellinger actually you know one month yeah he's been phenomenal he's been great but let's see a little bit more and you know as randall did mention he is a boris guy so it probably would take a lot to get him signed in season, but I, I, I don't see why you wouldn't want to keep a Cody Bellinger. Who's a fairly legitimate defensive player. Who's a, if he's hitting decently and not, not hitting all-star level, even all-star level or MVP level right now, he's hitting at like MVP level, but he's hitting fairly decently. I don't know why you wouldn't want to keep him around. I mean, he's a, I think he's a perfect fit to be honest. I think he's 27 years old. He fits slides in just because you have guys in triple a or single or double a or in the Myers. That doesn't really do much for me. Like just you're better off having more guys in your organization, to be honest. And eventually you know things work out you you could use certain players as trade pieces you could use certain players you know they can find some positional flexibility 
things have a way of finding them and working them out. So I'm not afraid of him blocking a player who I'm is no guarantee, first of all, in the first place to come up and be a special player or a good player or anything. So I think, you know, if he, he's younger than Saya, he's younger than Ian Happ. So he's younger than both outfield spots. He could play first base. He's a lead defender. If he performs and if he were amenable to having a, some sort of reasonable contract extension, I don't see why you wouldn't want to bring but here, Here's the thing is I don't think he'd agree to a reasonable contract well, extension because I think right, that's multi-year but... on his part. If he wants to stay one oh, more season. I, multi-year, I'm 100% would be in that multi-year. Again, and I would not be. If he wants to stay one because more year. Pete Crow Armstrong? If he wants to stay one more year on another one-year contract, I'm all for that. Just long-term, I'm not sure there's a fit, and I don't think there's other any way he would stay on that one-year deal. Ronan, I see those gears turning in your head. Mm. You you were very happy when I said save it for the pod because I know you love a, a spirited debate. Where do you fall on which, on which side of the belly do you fall? I am completely ecstatic with the year that he's having because that was like the one guy in the offseason from day one. I'm like, guys, before the season even ended last year, I'm like, Cubs got to get Bellinger. So I feel sort of vindicated, you know, because he's playing well. Not that I was on that edge of, you know, that far off of a, a, a rope there to say that he'd have a great season. But to answer your question, uh, I can't imagine Cody Bellinger right now, the way that he's playing, thinking that he's going to get anything less than. 140 or 150 million dollars right now in free agency in the offseason. So I think he's going looking at that going, I'm not taking a three or four year deal with the Cubs. I'm going to test free agency and some team is going to pay me. Uh, I don't think that the way Cody Bellinger has hit the first month of the season will be sustained the rest of the year. I think he's better than he's been the last few years, but not as good as he's been the first month of this year. So I, I want to sort of keep center field open. I do believe very strongly in Pete Crow Armstrong. And I think with Pete Crow Armstrong, the Cubs are going to get him up soon. I think he'll be on the big league roster next season. And I think he's going to have a long-term extension with the Cubs before the end of next season. I think this is a guy they are going to lock up long-term and just try and make sure that that's sort of the core guy in center field for this next competitive run here with this team. And I just don't think Bellinger is going to be in the, in the mold for it. So uh, I, I just, I think realistically Bellinger has a massive paycheck coming, even if his offense regrets a little bit and it's not going to be with the Chicago Cubs. Well, I agree with you. I mean, obviously it's a two way street. I, I, I but we're, I, I'm talking about, I thought we were, I'm, I'm just like talking about the hypothetical. Like, would you want Cody Bellinger around on another for, I mean, yes, it comes down to what the context of what the contract would be. But if the Cubs could lock up Cody Bellinger at a reasonable contract for another few years and he is performing at a rate that's, you know, maybe a three, four win player rate or two, even a little bit less than that, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. I mean, he's, he's as I said, he's 27 years old. He's younger than Ian Happ, who you locked up. He's younger than Seiya Suzuki, who you locked up. He's, yes, Pico Armstrong. I have high hopes for Pico Armstrong, too. There's no guarantee that Pico Armstrong is going to be a very good baseball player uh, in the Major League Baseball. I hope so. I hope he comes up and I hope he, he dominates. But even if he does, do those things like that's a good situation for the Cubs to be in. It's good to have more good players. So I, I, I just like if Cody Bellinger were amenable to being like, Hey, I like Chicago. I want to be back around here. I want to figure out what a reasonable deal. I agree with you. I think Cody Bellinger, if he has a, a year, he's going to go out he's going to get paid and whatever. That's what Cody Bellinger is going to want to do. But in a hypothetical situation where Cody Bellinger is like, I'm, I'm reasonable. I, let's we're trying to work something out. I would 100% in a heartbeat if he's still performing. I think it's a little early, but say June, July, if he's still performing, I I would start you know having those conversations. 
Yeah. I, you know, in your hypothetical situation, I don't disagree with you. I think it would be a good problem to have. And like you said, it always works itself out in baseball. Somebody will always be in a, somebody will always end up in a position to have it all work out. Somebody gets hurt, somebody's ineffective, whatever. I just don't think that hypothetical situation has any chance of coming true. And I know you're not arguing that. I know you're not saying that hypothetical equals reality. I just think that hypothetical is so unrealistic that I just don't think there's any way it happens. Well, I just want to say, like, I I also think, like, not just because you don't want you, – you would push, like, a guy like Cody Bellinger away just to keep it open for Pete Crow Armstrong to be as, like, I – I would I would be skeptical of that. I, I I don't think necessarily think that's like the best idea. Well, because prospects like, oh, are always I, a risk. That's true. Yeah, I agree with you. But some prospects, you know, you you uh, you put a lot towards and you sort of keep a spot, right? Um, I, I'm worried about there's other Cubs prospects that I'm worried about where they fit into the equation, including Brendan Davis. I don't know if this guy's ever going to really contribute to the Chicago Cubs at the big league level. And I'm surprised at what Cubs fans think his value is right now in the trade market. I think a lot of Cubs fans are overinflating what they could get for a Brendan Davis right now in a trade. So we'll see where all this stuff uh, shakes out. They'll use Brendan Davis as the centerpiece of the Shohei Otani trade. In July. I've seen that. I've seen that. And I've seen that. And I've gone, come on, folks. That's utterly ridiculous to think that that guy would bring back a player of that caliber. That's crazy. I, I can't imagine a discussion for Otani not starting and requiring Pete Crow Armstrong in it. And I don't think that's going to happen uh, one way or the other. Uh, yeah, you might need to send Brandon Davis and Kevin. Jeremy, help me out. Kevin made Kevin Made. The, the shortstop? I believe it's Kevin Mate, yeah. Mate, yeah, two syllables. Yeah, you might need Brennan Davis and Kevin Mate to get that deal done, Ronan. I agree. You might need to kick in a second I, player. I just feel like a Shohei Atani trade is just so, like, hard to conceive of. Of course it is. It's, it's just, like, obviously the Angels are going to want Shohei. They're going to want, like, because he's Shohei fucking Atani. They're going to want whatever. But, like, any acquiring team is thinking... I might only have him for half a year and he might only, you know, if I do again, I'm going to have to pay him like $500 million. No. What are and they going to want to give up? So like, I just, I just, I, it's so hard for me to conceive of what like the actual value would be to actually get that trade done. I, I just, I'm very skeptical of that happening to anybody, I, I, any, any organization. I agree. You know, we'll, we don't want to spend too much time on trade hypotheticals. We know I'm not real big on those, but I do feel like if that trade ever happens for half a season of Shohei Otani, and you know, you're not just paying for half a season, you're paying for half a season. You probably have an extension worked out um, with that deal just because you're not going to give up whatever it takes for half a season and then let him walk. But I do feel like that if that trade ever happens, which I don't think it will, but if it ever happens, I think we are either going to say, wow, that is startlingly little to give up. Or, wow, that is startlingly a lot to give up. I don't, don't think there's any version of that trade that would ever happen where we'd go, huh, you know, that seems that seems fair for half a season of Otani because we just have no real way to value this guy. He's that good. But that's hypothetical trade talk. I am interested to see if that ever does happen. I don't think it will, though. Yeah, I think Otani will finish the year in Anaheim. But any team that trades for him is trading with for him with the understanding that they're going to pay him whatever it takes to keep yeah. him, right? I, I, I don't think any team is going to give what it would take for half a year and then let him go in free agency. No. If you're going to commit to trading for him, then you've already decided if it's $500 million, $550 million, whatever that number is. I hear 600, the, I hear $600 million yeah, bidding. For him. Right. I mean, that's a 
ton of money. I, but it's also two way street. Like Shohei may say, "Hey, I can get multiple bidders on this. You might want to pay me six hundred million, but maybe there's some other teams that are going to drive that thing up. So you might want to go. Who knows? Two way street for a two way player. He's going to have exactly. one team bidding. One team bidding on him as a pitcher. One team bidding on him as a hitter. And he's going to set them against each other. He's a fantastic player. Well, one other player I was thinking about on the Cubs here. I just want to get your thoughts on Keegan Thompson. Had a really nice April for the most part. Last three outings, not so good. He got shelled today in Washington, D.C. He's allowed earned runs in each of his last three outings. Should we be worried about Keegan right now? Yeah, I'm a little bit worried. You know, there was the question of velocity as he was coming out of the spring, and then he pitched a good April, and we said, well, I guess that's fixed. And it's, I guess, come unfixed at the end of April, beginning of May here. I'm a little bit worried. The command is not there. He's getting hit hard. And those are two things that are typically not good signs for any pitcher, but especially as a short reliever in the spots that you're put in. So I am a little worried about Keegan. I am a little worried that whatever had him below velocity in spring has, you know, reared its ugly head again. And, you know, that they're at some point soon, they're going to take a look in that elbow with that shoulder, find something they don't like, and he goes on the IL. So I am worried about Keegan. Absolutely. I'm worried about Keegan because of his, I mean, there's a few things I'm worried about, but right now my main concern is his walk rate. It's very high. Entry today, it was very high. And you just can't be in that situation, especially if you don't have kind of strikeout stuff necessarily. You can't be putting guys on base in late innings as a reliever. And so it's kind of funny. I came into this tonight after the game thinking if we talk about him on the podcast, like I'm going to come in, I'm going to be very skeptical and, and be very worried and, and not be, uh, you know, high on Keegan Thompson, just like I was in spring training, but I'm looking at his stat cast numbers and there's some interesting things. Like he's tops in, in fastball spin. He's his, the teams aren't really his expected batting average against entering today was 97th percentile. That's, pretty good meaning pretty low expected batting average same with accepting sluggy like there aren't really teams aren't really squaring him up a lot so i'm kind of concerned maybe there's something is something there that he's doing that's successful but the walk rate is really what's concerning me you just can't do that if you're not going to strike guys out well we'll see you know bullpens can be fickle uh high hopes still a lot of high expectations around keegan just a little bit of a rough patch here over the last couple of days and he'll be back at it though in the bullpen cubs come home this weekend they've got three with the brewers the st louis cardinals are in town after that randall our friends at cubs weather have a forecast for us what's it looking like at wrigley Absolutely. At Alexander Hall, who goes by the name of Alexander Hall, which makes a whole lot of sense to me, of at Cubs Weather, the account that is called Cubs Weather, again, making great sense here, has, as always, provided us the forecast for this weekend series against the visiting fish. They have somehow managed to swim out into the Atlantic Ocean, up into the Great Lakes, uh, down through the Great Lakes, and they will come in off the lake because they are really, really weird fish. Alexander describes the series vibe for this weekend as very serviceable, if not moments of potentially great weather this weekend. But the lake will keep Wrigley a little bit cooler than it might otherwise be. Now, specifically, Alexander notes that you will experience a big difference whether you are in the sun or whether you are in the shade at Wrigley this weekend because of that late breeze. So you lake breeze. So you are going to want to know where your seats are because that's going to have a big effect on what how you attire yourself for the ball game. So Friday is, of course, and Saturday and Sunday, all of them, 120 Central Time starts, as God intended. Friday, 62 degrees with a mix of clouds and sun, and the winds will be blowing out to the left field corner at 10 to 20 miles per hour. 
Saturday is a 66 degree game time temperature. It will be sunny and the winds will again be out to that same left field corner at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Sunday, same temperature, 66 degrees at game time. It'll be a mix of clouds and sun with an outside shot at a shower. And just to change it up, the winds will be out to the left field corner again at 10 to 20 miles per hour. And so that is the forecast for this weekend's series against the visiting fish. So thank you as always to Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. Find him on Twitter at Alexander. Alexander Hall. Find the account on Twitter at Cubs Weather, as always, for providing us with the forecast and letting all of our listeners know how they should be dressing and how they should be preparing for heading out to the ballgame, no matter where you are. It sounds like a great weekend for some home runs to left field. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Let's hope the Cubs make it happen. Uh, Jeremy, you planning on getting out this weekend? I am hopeful to get out this weekend. I will certainly be out for the Cardinal series. That is a definite. I will be out there. Got to make sure to represent uh i have had been scarred uh you know randall was scarred by the marlins i have been scarred by the marlins i feel like the last couple of times i've seen the marlins at Wrigley field things have not gone well i feel like the last time i saw them they it, i think this was the last time i saw them they beat up on jake arietta he went down like 10 runs in the first inning in 2021 the time before that i feel like john birdie hit a ninth inning homer off pedro strofe and the marlins came from behind and i think that was 2019 uh, I just feel like maybe I saw them last year, but I feel like it's scarring me. So I'm going to try to get out there, though. I'm going to try to reverse the vibes. Raise your hand if you on this podcast have been personally victimized by the Florida Miami Marlins in their history. It's not good. My hand everyone. is not up. You know why? Why? Because I saw LaTroy Hawkins pitch an immaculate inning I was there. against the Florida Marlins on September 11, 2004 at Wrigley Field. <laughs> that is true. All that right. did happen. I yeah, was very satisfying. That. Very satisfying in 2004 to see Latroy do that against the Marlins. Don't think I've seen an immaculate inning other than that, at least none that have stuck with me all these years later. There are only so many immaculate innings yeah. in all of Major League Baseball's storied history, and you saw the one thrown by Latroy Hawkins. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's what, like 20 maybe? I don't even know. I feel like it's a low, very low number, but maybe I could be wrong on that. But, uh, yeah, we saw that one, and, of course, Hayden Wesnessy had one last year in Pittsburgh. Well, uh, Bryce Harper, just looking around Major League Baseball, a couple headlines worth noting. Bryce Harper is back. He had Tommy John surgery in November, and he's back out on the field. This is wild. One, you don't often see that with outfielders. I mean, it does happen for position players. We talked about Amaya earlier, but Tommy John and back in, what, 150 days or something like that. That's totally wild. That's that's incredible. Now, being a position player and specifically being able to DH, I think is going to help a lot. Because the thing about DHing is you uh, you don't throw. You are the designated hitter. You don't play the field. That's how it works. Thank you, baseball. Uh, but yeah, that's crazy. That's you know, this is typically a surgery that even for position players, it typically takes you you know eight months to a year to come back versus twelve to eighteen for a pitcher. But Bryce Harper is just built different. We know how driven he is. We know what kind of player he is, and that's very impressive for him. It's not quite Kyle Schwarber tearing his ACL in April, then coming back for the World Series, but it's pretty close time-wise. So good for him. Um, the game needs Bryce Harper, you know, big star, big market. The game is better when he's healthy and producing as long as as long as long he doesn't do it against the Cubs, Bryce, please. Bryce, Bryce Harper is genetic beast, you know. He's he just crazy. I do want to correct myself. There's actually 112 immaculate things. So when I said 12, 20, that was off. But 112 is still very low. But uh, – Bryce Harper is just absolutely ridiculous. The fact that the kid, you know, he graduated high school early, went to junior college, got drafted a year early, came up in the majors at age 19. He just crushed it. He's exceeded pretty much all expectations. He had huge expectations on him. He's a two-time MVP. 
Uh, and then, you know, he, he does amazing things. I, that's just who he is as a human being. And he's, he's, uh, he won the genetic lottery by being Bryce Harper, uh, because to do those types of things, and he's able to come back from Tommy John surgery after 160 days. Yeah, he's DHing. Yeah, whatever. It's still extremely impressive. You still need your arm to swing, you know, some power. So I, I, I've always been a big fan of Bryce Harper. He, I think he's super impressive uh, as a baseball player. So yeah, I, I'm definitely on the lookout to see some Bryce Harper uh, home runs. What else across baseball has your attention right now? Well, we have this, uh, you know, not quite news story, but getting there, the athletics look like they are in the early stages of moving to Vegas. And Ronan, I know you have big thoughts on this. You're a big Oakland guy. You're a big athletics guy. You're a big Coliseum guy. But Mm. the possum was just too much. As soon as that possum popped up, the A's signed this, uh, you know, letter of intent, this whatever you want to call it, this preliminary thing to purchase this land in Vegas and eventually move there. So I know you have thoughts on this. I'm just heartbroken for athletics fans. I think it's absolutely terrible. Uh, and and I think they've been thrown under the bus a little bit. There's a lot of fans right now who make fun of attendance issues in Oakland and say, well, if you want to keep a baseball team, you should go out to the ballpark. That team has been trying to lose for 30 years, right? They've been trading away their best players for years and years and years. And even though they had Billy Bean and he was trying to do wonderful things there, they artificially made that payroll low. They made it impossible for their own organization to be successful. They play in a dump of a stadium. What's happened to a very proud fan base, I think, is really appalling. The Oakland Athletics drew 2.9 million fans in 1990. And I know that came after the World Series appearance in 89 and all that, and they had a great roster. But that area can absolutely support Major League Baseball if the owner had any decency or willingness to try and win. So I just feel terrible about it. I'm, I, I think Vegas works for the NFL when you're playing eight home games over fall weekends and teams get out there every couple of years. I'm skeptical that Major League Baseball is really going to be viable and get a long-term base there in Las Vegas. But it seems moot at this point. The owners are hell-bent on making this happen, and it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, they, and I believe I've seen where they are going to play at the home of their AAA affiliate in Vegas, or the Aviators Ballpark, uh, for as long as it takes their new stadium to get built. So that's going to be fun, where you're going to have uh, an ostensible major league team playing in a AAA ballpark, which I'm sure they'll do some renovations to get it up to get it up to major league level. But that's still going to be interesting. Oh, that, that's that word. We're not supposed to say interesting. It's not going to make for great images, I don't think. Well. I- I'm thinking about Las Vegas, which is one of the hottest cities in the United States in July on a Sunday afternoon game and a triple A park that doesn't have a roof. That's crazy. I mean, that this is a city that gets 110, 115 degrees in the middle of the summer. And you're going to be playing day major league baseball games in a minor league park. That's outrageous that that would be allowed. And there have been teams in the past. Remember the Texas Rangers used to get an exemption that even though Sunday, you could only really have one Sunday night game. They could play those Sunday games a little bit later. You obviously are going to have to do that in Las Vegas. You're not playing noon games or 11 hay games on Sunday afternoons in the middle of the summer in Las Vegas. That's completely untenable. No, you're correct. The Rangers did used to have that exemption prior to their new ballpark opening. You'd have the Sunday night game going on and the Rangers game was kind of just finishing because they just, you just can't play the ball games in the heat of the day there. Yeah. You're not going to get a whole lot of people to go out to those midday uh, July games in Vegas. Once the Las Vegas athletics move there. 
And you, you know, Ronan, you made a point that you're they're gonna have trouble establishing a base there. The you know, the NFL season is only 17 games, 18 weeks long. You got your buy in there. MLB season is a, a great deal longer than that. It's gonna become one of those destination teams where uh, a lot like Tampa, sort of, to to the extent that people want to visit the trop. Um, it, it's gonna be one of those teams where the ballpark is mostly filled with the other team's fans, because especially with the balanced schedule now, your team is going to travel to Vegas once every two years. And that's going to be a real popular vacation for 15, 15 plus more than 15 for 29 other fan bases that are going to come in there and basically pack the park to see their team play. So I think you have a point. I think it's going to be difficult for them to establish a local base. Now the Knights have done it, but hockey is different. Uh, the Raiders have done it, but the Raiders are just so weird. They're their own singularity of weirdness. I think they're going to have trouble establishing uh, their own fan base there in Las Vegas when they do move there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm highly skeptical of that too, as well. I'm highly skeptical that that is actually going to be like a destination where people, I mean, yeah, people are going to want to go there on certain things, but I'm highly skeptical that you're going to get like Pittsburgh Pirates fans there on a Tuesday through Thursday series to fly out to Vegas. You know, I it's just something that I, over the long haul, and I've been to actually one of those Texas games uh, down there. And that, that trust me, that was really hot. So I can't yeah. imagine yeah how it's going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, it's great. They should actually play at the old Cashman field, but they used to the home run derby. That was always <laughs> kind of pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, the A's just to go back to Rowan's point. It wasn't even that long ago. It was pre COVID like the 2019 A's, even 2021, they made the playoffs, but like the 2019 A's, you know, 2018, they don't, they weren't drawing like selling out Oakland Coliseum, but those were competitive baseball teams and they had a following. Like there were serious following. It wasn't like how it is even now. It was, they had pretty good following there. So it's just sad to see what happened uh, over time. It's definitely like an intentional, it's almost like major league, you know, we're taking it all very, just to yeah. move to uh, Las Vegas. But uh, I I'm skeptical that Las Vegas is really going to work out as a major league city the way they want it to. And I mean, they're going to get a lot of money from the government to go there. So that that's going to work out for them. It was as recent as 2021 that the A's were good enough that they were upgrading themselves at the deadline. Jan Gomes and current Cub Jan Gomes and briefly former Cub farmhand Josh Harrison and current kind of nobody Josh Harrison were trade acquisitions for the A's in at the 2021 deadline. It wasn't all that long ago though that those teams were competitive. And yeah, moving to Vegas, it's you're resetting everything. You know, once they move into their new ballpark that has a retractable roof and you're not playing in a triple a ballpark with no roof maybe you'll get more people there but i do think it's going to be a very uphill climb to establish um, a new baseball fan base there in vegas and i'm just not sure it's going to prove viable for them long term i i I have i i I, we've talked about vegas i don't know if we can continue talking about it but i have i have something that's interesting to me about um do you have something to say, Ron? I've got one other point. I just okay, wanted to say point. on Oakland before we move on. Um, John Fisher is an awful person. He's the owner, the primary owner there of the Oakland Athletics. But every single Major League Baseball owner is responsible for this taking place. They're all on board with it. They see short-term dollar signs with increased value, uh, the increased uh, – having a city like Las Vegas, which is growing – and, and has uh, a lot of folks moving in that direction out there. They're seeing dollar signs with all of this, and it's the only thing that they're caring about. So, yeah, I'm pissed off at John Fisher. I do think he's a terrible, greedy, selfish person. But I'm also pissed off at Jerry and Tom and Dickie Monfort and all these other owners who absolutely are equally responsible, I think, to Oakland ownership for what's taken place here and for allowing this to happen. It is horrible 
for Oakland fan. It's horrible for Northern California baseball fans. Um, the Giants may benefit from this as more fans sort of shift that way in that part of the country. But this is a really a bad thing for Major League Baseball, and it is very, very greedy that ownership has allowed it. So thank you, Jeremy. I just needed to get that before I moved on to something else. I'm just seeing a lot of hatred at Fisher, rightfully so, but all the owners, that's the point, man, I'm trying to make. All the other owners allowed this to happen and basically propped it up to happen. So they're all culpable, in my opinion. I think it'd be funny if you called them Tom and Jerry instead of Jerry and Tom. Sure. Just a little, just a little comedic and Dickie. insight. And Dude, Tom, Jerry, just a little comedic insight for you. Jeremy, go ahead. Yes. Well, I want one that... Uh... I think it's all going to make us all happy. I got some that's around Major League Baseball, right? Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are 10 and 20. They are yeah. 10 games under 500. They were entering today, I believe, what, 10 games back of the Pirates? The last time the St. Louis Cardinals were 10 games back of their of the, in the division on May 1st, 1907. Oh, man. Good 1907. Year. The last time the Cardinals were this far back on May 1. The pitcher was a man named Stoney McGlynn, and I got this from Derek mm. Gould tweet. Uh, that's all going to make us happy. The St. Louis Cardinals, I've I've talked to some Cardinals fans. I know Ronan had a nice wedding a few weeks ago where he met up with some Cardinals fans. Cardinals fans are not words. happy right now. They are not happy. They are furious. They hate their pitching staff. They are not a fan of this team. You know what? It's about damn time. That's all I'm going to say. It's about Correct. damn time that the Cardinals had a trash season. Hopefully it continues. I know they could still move on. There was a projection for Zips today where it had four teams in the NL Central divided by two, uh, within two games of each other. So it's still expecting the Cardinals to, to play well. But you know what? It's about damn time to, that some things break, not the way of the St. Louis Cardinals. And that's Correct. my little Aaron, rant. Aaron Rodgers is out of the NFC. He's out of the NFC North. The St. Louis Cardinals are 10 games under five, 10 games under 500. We are owed this. We deserve this. We've sat through a whole lot of shit and we are owed this. And I'm going to say that quietly, Ronan, I see you cringing. Like, don't, don't uh, wait, wait until you see the body, but just the same. Yeah. And I think the St. Louis Cardinals should do their fans a huge service and stay at 10 wins because that way you're not going to have more wins than most of their fans can count on their fingers. Maybe oh, go up man. to 20. Most of them can probably use their toes. I'm just saying don't don't overstress them unduly. Well, it's been awesome. It's been, I think, one of the surprising stories in baseball has been how bad the Cardinals have been this year. I'm just concerned about taunting the baseball gods a little bit, exactly. getting a little too cocky right now because – the, the pessimism in me, the, the Cubs fan that's sort of tired of the losing in me is going, oh boy, imagine the story, the incredible Cardinals comeback of 2023. It's just sitting there in the background. So be careful, Randall, with the taunting of the baseball gods. Look, nobody is more genre savvy than me. I, I, I am the most genre savvy on this podcast. I will absolutely wait until I see the body to declare the monster is dead. All I am saying is that we are at some point, if it's this year, great. If it's next year, we are at some point owed a bad Cardinal season. Several of them, in fact. We've built up quite a tab here. So I, I, again, show me the body first before I declare the monster is dead. I agree completely. But at some point, it will happen, and we will be allowed to enjoy it when it does happen. The law the law of big numbers, at some point, it's going to happen. Correct. I will say, and I agree with Ronan, you want to see the, the, the body, as you just said. Uh, I, I've done some little bit of taunting about a certain team, and and uh, they may have had an amazing one last night, or, and then they may, or two nights ago on Sunday, and then they may have won an extra innings today with the Chicago White Sox coming back against the Minnesota Twins. You get them great, and who knows? 
I mean, the Fangraphs gave it like a 4% chance of making the playoffs, but that division is trash. They're 12 under. So who knows? You got to see the body. You can't taunt yeah. somebody. They're dead yet. So I'm just saying if the Cardinals are going that way, if it does happen, it's about damn time. You, you doing the Stewie there, Jeremy? You going to finish that novel? Yeah. Well, I got a final thought on the Cardinals too, Jeremy. You're right. I was at a wedding about two weeks ago in central Illinois. The wedding was in Eureka, Illinois hometown birthplace of Chicago Cub World Series MVP Ben Zobra. So that was cool, right? But it was a Cardinals wedding. Lots of Cardinals fans there. Lots of Illinois State folks there as well, too, being downstate. And that got me thinking, okay, what do these Cardinals fans think about Paul DeYoung in 2023, knowing that a lot of the folks at that wedding were Redbirds, where he played his college ball. Boy, Cardinals fans have moved on from Paul DeYoung. Uh, I, I think far worse than Cubs fans have moved on from David Bodie, who got similar type of contracts at similar points in their career between those franchises. Just shocked at the uh, animosity Cardinals fans right now have for Paul DeYoung. One of the few Cardinals I've actually ever clapped for at a ballpark. And I will be clear, it was not at a Cubs game. It was at a Rockies game here, but I did see a good chunk of his college career. Wanted to pay my respects to him, but man, Redbird fans have turned on the former Redbird. Boy, Cardinals wedding. I'm just imagining 2001, a space odyssey, all gathered around the monolith, hooting and banging oh, clubs on the ground. It was, it, was a, it was such a good time, Randall, that we closed down the lobby of a Holiday Inn Express in Morton, Illinois, at 3 in the morning. That's you the type of wedding. You closing down the lobby of a small hotel for a wedding? That's not novel. You do that at every wedding. That's, I think that's uh, a source of pride. But very good times. You are the hotel closer downer. Yeah, well, we're happy for Adam Copp. He is a friend of the podcast here. Had a wonderful wedding down there in Eureka. And I made a point to tell multiple people, "Ah, Ben Zobrist, you know, this is his hometown. I had to get that into some of the Cardinals fans there. Is there there like a Ben Zobrist museum? Like maybe his childhood home? Ben Zobrist Park? Come on, why not? You know, there was a shuttle from the hotel to the wedding venue, about a 20-minute ride from Morton to Eureka, and you do pass the high school and the high school ball fields. And that, to me, was like my Ben Zobrist moment there. I'm like, all right, cool. He did some great things out there. Uh, Not much to the town, though, I will say. Uh, But the cannery, uh, used to be an old cannery, is now this wedding venue. Made for a great night. I do. I do. There was one other Cubs connection uh, to Eureka, Illinois. Uh, Not that I know. There could be more. But one I, I do know of is that Eureka College is the alma mater of President Ronald Reagan, who made it, who got his start broadcasting play-by-play Chicago Cubs games in Des Moines, Iowa. That's and right. actually, it was on a West Coast swing of Cubs games during while they were traveling to spring training, actually, in California, that he took a test and became an actor out there. But he was a Cubs broadcaster, and he went to Eureka College. So there's another connection. Yeah. Well, they do have a sign that says, Home of Ronald Reagan. And I thought that was a little bit misleading, right? Because yeah, going to college there doesn't make it your – my home exactly. is not Bloomington, Indiana, right? And my home is not normal Illinois for that matter. Yet, hey, Eureka, they're going to take pride in that. Well, you should go to the sign. You get a little paint, a little marker, a little arts and crafts, and home of Ben Zobrist. Easy yeah. fix. You or college the letter, Rearrange oh. the letters in Ronald Reagan and make him say Ben Zobrist. Probably make it work. There's a few towns in central Illinois that claim to be the home of Ronald Reagan. Sanfico. Sure. Dixon, where he was actually born. There's a few of them. Yeah. Or actually, I think he was born to have a go. He grew up in Dixon. But hey, teams, you know, it's just like all the states 
in this right. part of the country that try and claim Abraham Lincoln, whether it's exactly. Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois. Exactly. Everybody likes to get a little bit of that. Well, the Cubs are home this weekend. The Fish for three. The Cardinals in next week. We will get a podcast uh, probably towards the end of that Cardinals series. would be a good time to check in again. A tough week for Cubs baseball, but the good news is two more in D.C. and then back to the friendly confines. That always makes things better. Uh, Ivy should be very, very close to being full at this point. Um, continue to green up there over that last homestand. So we'll be back next week. For Jeremy Randall, this is Ronan. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Go Cubs!